0: Welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today we are reviewing the events at City Council from September until the end of 2022. There weren't many meetings, but they were very impactful just the same, so let's get started. Council returned from its summer break on September 12th for the first of two and only two September meetings, And it also returned to an all-virtual format due to the ongoing upgrades to the City Council Chamber, which, as of this recording, were still TPD in terms of when they will be completed. Moving on, though, after passing two out of the three Consent Agenda items, Council heard from members of the public about the staff recommendation to refuse the proposed redevelopment of the old Days in site. The representatives for the developer said that council could save the project if they wished. The staff recommended that it not go forward. Uh, The developer also promised that all their issues could be sorted out in the site plan process. There was also a thinly veiled threat to take a no vote on the matter to the Ontario Land Tribunal, and implying that council will miss an opportunity to help solve the student housing crunch. Council still had their doubts after all that, though. Councilor Kathy Downer pointed out that if the developer wanted to help with student housing, they already have a site ready to go at the old Royal Brock site on Stone Road and Gordon Street. Councilor Rodrigo Galler then got confirmation that the developer chose not to respond to any of the staff's concerns, and instead they wanted to go right to a decision that was confirmed Multiple counselors also made the point that the developer didn't go back to area residents for feedback until the residents themselves came back to the developers exactly one week before the planning meeting was supposed to take place. Most of the seven delegates were supportive of the decision to decline the application, and before the vote, Councillor Phil Alt made the point that it's starting to feel like the City of Guelph is taking the brunt of the responsibility for housing University of Guelph students. Mayor Cam Guthrie was the only yes vote saying that he didn't buy the argument that the building was too big to be approved. In happier news, Council did approve the rezoning of 388 Arkell Road, so the new high school on that corner will now proceed to site planning. There were, however, some concerns lingering about whether or not the new school will be able to accommodate the rapid growth rate in the area in the south end of the city, And then the last decision concerned the redevelopment of Hamilton Corners at Arkell and Gordon. There was one delegate there who had worries about traffic congestion in this portion of Gordon Street with all the new construction in the area. There were similar concerns expressed by some members of council who worried that this was too much density. But Councillor Mark McKinnon threw cold water on those concerns, saying that council could not put the totality of area development on one application. The rezoning was approved, but four councillors did vote against it. The last council meeting before the election, two nights later, covered a lot of ground with the approval of the CAO's performance evaluation, which was done in camera, of course. There were also some staff recognitions and the latest in the blue box transition update. There was some in-depth debating, which began with the single-use items update that had already been sorted out earlier in the year, but the federal government had since announced their own single-use plastics policy, which superseded the one the City of Guelph had already established. Accessibility Advisory Committee Chair Loralee Root delegated on the federal regulations, especially on the issue of plastic straws, for which there was no exception in the new rules from Ottawa. Root brought forward five additional recommendations for council's consideration, and they were developed by the AAC and city staff so that they could work within federal regulations, and that included an education campaign to let people and businesses know that people with disabilities are allowed the use of plastic straws, a potential subsidized straw purchasing program, a bylaw to make sure plastic bag alternatives have two reinforced handles and a letter from the city, to the federal government to have more exemptions for plastic straws. There were some concerns about the city providing subsidized products, which would be a first. And there was some uncertainty from staff about making promises about a subsidized straw distribution program, at least until they collected more information. Still, Council was universally supportive of the AAC's additional actions, and they amended the recommendations to give staff until Q2 in 2023 to do their due diligence, and the slate was approved unanimously. The last item of the night was also Councillor James Gordon's last motion before his retirement from council, a similar motion to one passed in Kingsville, which was a formal objection to the passage of the Strong Mayors Build Homes bill, which was passed that week at Queen's Park. Gordon said that he was concerned about the potential abuse of strong mayor powers, not by the current mayor, of course but by a potential future mayor with less scruples. There was a lot of agreement with that premise from the six delegates, and some on council as well. Many of them also pointed out that there's nothing in the legislation that would actually create more and cheaper homes. And when it was the mayor's turn to comment, Guthrie said that Bill 3 would make it easier for a mayor to achieve their agenda, but the legislation itself was an overreach because it assumes that a mayor has expertise in all areas of municipal governance, and can single-handedly set the direction for a city, which he thought was pretty unreasonable. The motion was approved unanimously. Post-election, on November the 1st, council had to address a matter of immediate importance, and it needed to be addressed before this council had risen for the last time later that day. The property owner of 5060 Fife Road had filed an objection to the heritage designation passed by council in the summer. And by the time the new council would formally meet for the first time in December, it was too late to hear that objection. Now, in case you forgot, council approved the heritage designation for key features of the tower at the former home of Guelph businessman and mayor F.J. Chadwick, which was a property that was on the heritage list but was not designated. The features in question were elements of the tower, and council approved their protection and reuse for some kind of commemoration on the property, while the rest of the house would be torn down to make room for 18 new affordable units. At the November meeting, Howard Kennedy from Upbuilding, the property owner, told council that the cost of protecting the heritage elements was not the $20,000 bill he thought it was going to be it was instead cost more than $100,000, and that didn't include the consultants and architects. The house itself, including the tower, is in much worse condition than it originally appeared, Kennedy said. So, in essence, there's really nothing worth saving. After Kennedy delegated, council heard from Heritage Chair P. Brian Scarrett, who said that this was a process discussion and not a matter of heritage versus housing. As the debate was being framed, at least. He reminded council that Heritage Guelph wanted the entire tower to be designated, but Upbuilding's own consultant said that the tower met at least one of the criteria for heritage designation, and the city staff said that it had met two. After the delegations, Councillor Dan Gibson asked about options. GM of Planning, Krista Walkie, said that Council can designate or withdraw the notice. If they withdrew the notice, a demolition application could be brought, and Council would have to do that work to consider the application later. Gibson wanted to move a recommendation to pull the designation, but Councillor June Hoffland put the original staff recommendation on the floor in order to make some comments. And that ratcheted up the council friction when Mayor Guthrie noted that Gibson had already announced his intention to make the first motion. Councillor Leanne Caron, though, said that Hofflin made a motion fair and square, and she seconded it. Guthrie said that that was, quote, fine, if that's the way you want to do it, unquote. After getting more questions answered about next steps, the battle lines were laid out. Some councillors said that this was a matter of procedure, and the original motion met all the requirements of the Heritage Act. Others said that the cost of preserving heritage in this instance was an impediment to getting more rent-geared-to-income housing in the city. Others merely noted that this seemed like a lose-lose proposition. The vote on the staff recommendation failed 6-7, to seven, with councillors Alt, Gordon, Salisbury, Downer, Hofflin, and Caron voting in favor. Councilors Gibson and McKinnon then put on the floor a motion to revoke the designation, which passed in a 7-6 vote. In one last attempt to save some portion of the Chadwick House, Caron proposed a motion to make a condition of the demolition a request of the property owner to salvage heritage materials and create a commemoration and a plaque to the old building on some public-facing portion of the property. Some of the councilors who voted to demolish the building didn't like the wording about making it a, quote, condition, unquote, of demolition, and Councillor Mike Salisbury observed that such a motion was moot anyway. He called it, quote, a Hail Mary to deaf ears, unquote. Despite some wordsmithing to make the request sound more optional, the motion failed five to seven. So that set the stage for the last meeting of the term. And for the first time since just before the start of the COVID-19 pandemic in March 2020, most of the chairs around the council table were full. Only Bob Bell beamed in via Webex for this last meeting. Guthrie went around the horseshoe and honored McKinnon, Salisbury, Hofflin, Gordon, and Bell in turn, the outgoing councillors, and he offered them each a memento for their time on council. After that, each of the outgoing councillors took their turn to offer words of wisdom for the next council, or just words of thanks to all the people that helped them over the years. And at least a couple of councillors had words of warning about the future. After that, the 2018-2022 Guelph City Council adjourned for the last time. A couple of weeks later, before the first official meeting of the new city council in the evening of November 15th, they had a mock council meeting in the morning. But more than a mock meeting, city clerk Stephen O'Brien took the opportunity to inform council about their roles, responsibilities, and the rules that they will have to govern by for the next four years. When the evening did come, the new Guelph City Council was piped into the chambers, and the 13 members took their new position around the horseshoe Everyone was sworn in by Stephen O'Brien, who then turned over the meeting to the newly reinstalled Mayor Guthrie. In his inaugural speech, Guthrie congratulated new and old councillors alike, and he pledged that this council will be available, transparent, and ready to hear any and all ideas to make Guelph a better place now and in the future. He promised a fun time, but he also said that, quote, Coming out of the heights of the pandemic and lockdowns, we now know that the affordability crisis is upon us and that a recession is more than likely. Guthrie also talked indirectly about Bill 23 and warned council and residents that service downloading might be in the near future, which will force the city to reevaluate where it can and must allocate its resources. Guthrie went on to say that the city must balance affordability with making sure that everyone in the community is supported and that he won't compromise well-being, infrastructure, or investments in the long term in order to, quote, appease some with a few dollars of savings now, unquote. So what can council do? Guthrie said that they're going to put together a four-year strategic plan that will set the pace and determine how quickly the city can work towards its goals. In terms of working together with the new council, the mayor was optimistic, saying that everyone successfully elected to council ran on finding solutions to homelessness, affordability, and safety. So these are community issues, and not just his issues. The challenges were apparent in the first real meeting of the new council term. Staff wanted the horseshoes' feedback about two new pieces of provincial legislation. Bill 109, More Homes for Everyone Act, and Bill 23, the More Homes Built Faster Act. The staff presentation alone was over one hour long, as several key managers, plus a consultant from Watson & Associates, tackled the difficult job of providing a high-level overview of all the changes in the two bills. Before the presentation, CAO Scott Stewart said that the provincial government's approach with Bill 23 is quote, disrespectful to municipalities, unquote, and quote, not the way that they should be doing engagement, unquote, in order to find common ground. The crux of the situation is that the province is asking Guelph to grow nearly twice as fast in the next 10 years as they were originally planning to. Guelph's latest official plan amendment set the housing growth number at 10,000 units by 2023, and the government of Ontario now wants 18,000. By the way, the province has still not yet signed off on the latest OPA approved by council earlier this year. The potential impacts of Bill 23 on Guelph are grim. Loss of revenue for infrastructure, loss of wetlands, and that could affect stormwater management too. Loss of heritage buildings, the removal of site plan for developments with 10 units or less, affordability being defined as 80% of market value, less available parkland, less money for parkland, and no real mechanisms to encourage the development of units people might actually be able to afford or to bring down prices in the housing market. Gary Scanlon, the associate director of Watson and Associates Economists, compared the situation to the 90s. When the provincial government under mike Harris started downloading onto municipalities he also said that there's no guarantee that the legislation will create more housing especially if a build is marked for areas of the city that needs servicing like say the Claremontby area those are all upfront costs for cities and Scanlon warned that this could result in the delay or reduction of city services at the conclusion of the presentation council heard from several delegates including many familiar faces there was one notable delegate and it was ryan scott the senior vice president of development and finance at fusion homes scott expressed ambivalence about whether or not bill 23 will actually result in more and cheaper homes but in any event he said Guelph should be deciding on how best to build Guelph. He also said that Bill 23 doesn't address the pressures of labor and supply chains, and he admitted that there's no provision for developers to pass on any savings in development charges and other fees to home buyers. Councillor Christine Billings ripped the proverbial band-aid off when it was council's turn by saying that they should completely reject Bill 23 and demand that it be rescinded. Billings also suggested that all 444 of Ontario's municipalities should team up for a universal rejection of the bill. CAO Scott Stewart said that he appreciated her hustle, but he also said that saying a flat no was not going to be well-received at the province, and noted that the herding cat's quality of getting all Ontario's towns and cities to work together was a factor too. Ultimately, council did offer a rebuke of Bill 23. Downer proposed an amendment to change one of the staff recommendations to eliminate a request for more consultation time and instead replace it with a line that says City Council, quote, opposes Bill 23 in its current form, unquote. That motion was passed unanimously without much debate. Other concerns covered by Council included an increased workload for staff as they now have to rewrite master plans. They were also concerned about the possibility of longer planning meetings as council had to answer applications more quickly, and whether there was any provision to encourage accessible builds or to stop investors from buying houses as if they were junk bonds. There is not. In other news, staff revealed that this won't be the last word on changes to housing and planning. Their sources are saying that more legislation is going to be coming down in the spring. In summation... The councillors agreed that this legislation undermines local democracy, it does not guarantee the creation of more real affordable housing, and it will end up costing municipalities more in the long run. The new councillors expressed personal frustration that they're dealing with this huge bill and its serious implications just weeks after being elected. Guthrie wrapped up the meeting by saying that the ideal solution was for all parties – from the province to cities to developers and aid agencies to partner together and find solutions together as opposed to fiats issued from the top down. The eight staff recommendations, as amended, were passed unanimously. A busy sweep of December meetings began on December 6 with Class Picture Day at City Hall and then a 90 minute breakdown of how planning works at the municipal level plus some of the immediate planning concerns that Council is going to face for the next four years. More ominously, Wolke warned that a storm is coming and that Council should look for a lighter winter for planning meetings as developers look at the changes approved in the More Homes Built Faster Act. She also added that planning applications may come to Council with much less detail than we're used to because site planning and zoning can't happen concurrently anymore. A special meeting after the workshop began at 5.30 to fill spots on the local boards and advisory committees, and council went directly into that closed session, and they did not emerge for nearly 90 minutes. When council did come back into open session, the slate of new public appointees to local boards and advisory committees was swiftly approved. New War Two councillor Carly Klassen removed herself from the vote for members of Heritage Guelph because her husband applied to a position there. But after that, council appointed themselves to various positions without much friction, though there were a couple of key changes worth mentioning. Guller brought forward a motion to amend the composition of the Guelph Public Library Board to include up to three members from city council instead of one. Guller said that the logic is simple. With the coming construction of the new main library and its expanded slate of services, there should be more than just one member of council on the library board. This would also bring the city in line with representatives of other shared services, like the Guelph Police Board or Public Health, which all have two or three council reps. The Horseshoe approved the amendment, and Galler, Klassen, and Caron were approved as the representatives to the board. In an additional motion, Downer proposed the appointment of a councillor as a non-voting member of Heritage Guelph explaining that other municipalities with a councillor on the Heritage Committee have gotten good results, and it could be an essential move with all the changes to the Heritage Rules in Bill 23. Council had to suspend the procedural bylaw to consider the motion, and after the suspension was passed unanimously, the motion to add an appointment was also approved unanimously. Downer himself was then successfully approved as council's rep to Heritage Guelph starting even later that night was the first planning meeting of the term council heard two delegates on the recommendation to approve a redevelopment on edinburgh road north while council did approve it they did also start asking questions about density potential trail connections and the amount of purpose-built rental in that development but then it was time to discuss the big issue of the night the rezoning of a property along Haddaddy Road between Leacock and Upton that would see a commercial building standing there demolished and then replaced with 24 stacked townhouses. The developers are asking for an increase to the maximum height and an increase to the maximum density, plus a reduction in front yard setbacks and a reduction in parking to one space per unit, along with two visitor spaces. After the representatives of the landowner presented, a parade of a dozen delegates began, and almost all of them were against the proposal, citing concerns about the amount of density on this site, the lack of parking that will enforce more street parking, and the increased traffic for an area that many of the residents already feel is unsafe, especially for the kids who cross a daddy road to go to school at St. James'. Another objection that area residents had was the loss of some of the only commercial space within walking distance, a convenience store that currently occupies the building on site. Some of the area residents noted that it's important because it gives them a place where they can walk to in order to pick up the basics, but the owner of the property delegated that the store's owner is looking to retire and that she's been subsidizing his rent so that he can stay open. In terms of council concerns, Gibson asked if there was any consideration about keeping the commercial portion of the property, but Trevor Hawkins, who was the rep for the property owner, said that keeping a commercial portion would mean something more akin to an apartment building. Gawler asked Hawkins about guarantees that one parking space per unit would not result in more on-street parking, and Hawkins explained that buyers will know what they're buying. Many found that answer unpersuasive. In their comments, many around the horseshoe agreed that the time had come for a redevelopment of the site, and at least a couple of counselors pitched the idea of a smaller development, something between 12 and 16 units that would include more parking as an acceptable compromise. Guthrie said that the neighborhood had raised a number of concerns, but they needed to focus on what's doable because some comments they made also bordered on nimbyism. He also recommended that all parties should get together and try and find some solutions about what's possible for this site. On the next night, Council prepared for the review and confirmation of the 2023 budget in January by learning how a municipality creates a budget, what the budget considerations for Guelph look like, and how our own multi-year budgeting process works. The impacts of Bill 23 were specifically discussed during workshop, and D.C.A.O. Trevor Lee explained that staff will be bringing more information about that when the real budget process begins in the new year. Council questions covered the idea of making the city of Guava a living wage employer, advocating for an increase in the heads-in-beds levy, and when new city councilors will be able to take part in the revamp of the strategic plan. To finish the year, council had their regular meeting on December 13th, and there were a couple of points of interest. Council debated a request from Wellington County to help fund the current and expanded hours of the Royal City Mission with $250,850 from the Tax Operating Reserve. The hours of the mission were extended during the pandemic thanks to funding from the county, but there's a timing gap right now because the mission doesn't open till noon, and local shelters close for the morning at 8 a.m. That means for four hours in the morning, people who are homeless downtown have almost nowhere else to go. The head of Royal City Mission, Reverend Kevin Cohill, was in the gallery and was asked for his feedback. He said that the mission will offer a warm space and wraparound care like usual during the extra service hours and that his facility is one of the few downtown that lets people hang around for hours at a time. He also added that the number of people the mission is helping has, quote, "...gone out of control," unquote, and confirmed that the pandemic has changed the way that other aid agencies do business, and there just aren't as many as there used to be downtown." Most members of council were open to answering the need, but they were concerned about the technical aspects of this plan and how the city of Guelph is getting more sucked into the provision of social services, which it's technically not supposed to do. In terms of the mechanics, Deputy CAO Colleen Clack-Bush explained that this will essentially be a community benefit agreement, but because of the tight timelines caused by the election and the fact that Winter is now here, Staff need to get council approval for the spending, and then write up the agreement and set reporting requirements. The recommendation was approved unanimously, and the expended hours at Royal City Mission should be open 12 hours a day, Monday to Saturday, starting fairly soon, sometime in early January. After that, staff showed off improvements to customer service, including an online map that allows people to report a problem to the city. Whether that's a broken streetlight or a missed garbage pickup or graffiti on public property, there are now 68 potential services that can be flagged using the Report a Problem map. Staff also discussed how the process has begun to fold the 45 departmental phone numbers and 35 departmental email addresses used as the public access points of the City of Guelph services into One phone number and one email address, that process is going to take years to complete. The last item of the night and of the year was a motion coming out of the recent information report to Council about the service rationalization implementation. Councillor Dominique Rourke had concerns about the report as a missed opportunity to celebrate progress made... And she also wanted to see some cost-benefit analysis around the implementation while getting assurances that any of the follow-up work from the rationalization won't end up melting into staff work plans. O'Rourke's motion asked for annual updates about implementation of rationalization measures, starting with a report to the Audit Committee in the second quarter of 2023. She explained that council approved a list of recommendations and that they have accountability for it, so council must be able to trace a line from the recommendation to whether or not it's being completed. Staff offered assurances that producing an annual report does not throw too big a wrench into their audit work plans, and council approved the motion unanimously. So that was the last part of the year at City Council. The 2023 slate of council meetings begins on Tuesday, January the 11th, with a workshop and a committee of the whole meeting. To see those previews and to stay up to date with the latest developments, keep visiting Guelph Politico. And that's it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics at Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, and to learn more about CFRU, go to cfru.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify, and when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Anime Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram, or send me an email at donaldson at gmail.com. If you would like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local political news, check out GuelphPolitico.ca, where we will have a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we shall see you next time.